It's down in the den. So go tell a friend. The best podcast on earth is about to begin. We got jokes and news and movie reviews. After Dark NC 17 with the crew. Interviews with the best artists around. So like, comment, subscribe. The show starting right now. Let's go. Like, comment, subscribe. The show starting right now. Welcome to Down in the Den. It's your boy Mars, and I'm here today with a very, very special episode. The first of many that's going to be talking about a gentleman that I believe has raw talent, that has the ability to transcend and open up minds. Rome, thank you so much for taking the time out and joining me here in the Den. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. I appreciate you for having me. Oh, man, no, I appreciate you for carving out some time. I know it's very important, and and I thank you so much. So I heard your music, and it was like an atom bomb to the heart, an atom bomb to the mind. It just really blew me away. And at first, I thought it was just a metaphor until I really learned about your story. And then I said, I have to have this gentleman on the show. I have to share his story because it's incredible. So I always say every hero has an origin story. Tell us a little bit how you became who you are from person to artist. What's your origin story? Yeah, so, you know, my name is Rome Malone. I'm a MC. Locked up for over 28, 28 years now. Um, I locked up in 1993 when I was 18. Ever since, and so, um, on the year 2018, I started recording some of my lyrics over the phone. So, uh, you know, it's you could call that the origin story, but I mean, of course, it's so intricate, so many more details to flash in in between that space. But, you know, that's just how, you know, my story began. I got locked up in 1993 when I was 19, and fast forward, you know, 28 years later, and oh. So 1993, that was a very big year in hip-hop. Um, we're talking about the early days of Tupac. We're talking about the early days of Biggie before he released the album. Uh, we're talking about Public Enemy. We're talking about a, a really a golden age. Now, obviously, uh, before that, were you before being incarcerated, were you into hip-hop? Were you into the music? Or is that something that you discovered your talent years after? Yeah, man, I'm hip hop head from day one. You know, I um, you know, I'd probably go back to around about '82, '83 as far as my earliest memories of hip hop. Um, I used to go to this skate rinse in Raleigh, where I actually was right outside of Raleigh and Cary called Sports World, and we used to break dance. That was kind of like my intro into hip hop as a as a whole, as a culture, and from you know just break dancing to the instrumentals of you know some of the popular tracks back then. Um, Tour de France and Electric Kingdom, then the slow evolution to me finally actually hearing some rap. So Fat Boys was like the first group or the first, you know, uh, rappers that I really heard and fell in love with. I love the gimmick, you know what I'm saying, of them all being overweight and, you know, um, rapping, you know, and, you know, it was all fun and humorous. So initially I wanted to be a DJ. You know, because DJs back then got all the top billing. You know, hip hop right. was all about the DJ. And, um, you know, so that was my aspiration. But, you know, I, I lived in the projects and, you know, my mom couldn't afford to buy me, you know, you know two turntables and a mixer and, you know, that type of equipment. 
And so eventually I just kind of learned, you know, that I could rap. And it was easy to rap, and it was, you know, something that I fell in love with. And, you know, I've been, you know, rapping ever since 86, pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and you mentioned some of the early era in 93. Uh, most of those MCs that you mentioned, you know, they, they might not have, they might have just been on the cusp of releasing. But when I got locked up, I could tell you exactly what was a heavy rotation in my tape deck. And I say tape deck because that's what I was still rocking. Right. Set tapes. I was listening to um, Cool G Rap, uh, Ill Street Blues tape. I had um, EPMD, the whole hit squad, Red Man, DOS Effects. I had uh, Dr. Dre had just released The Chronic and, um, you know, um, our, our gang stars, our step in the arena. Those was, you know, like a heavy, you know, rotation. That was the music I was listening to right before I got locked up in 93. Wow. And that, I mean, all of those albums are, are definitely classic. I consider myself a bit of a hip hop historian. Uh, my brother, who um, was 10 years older than me, when I was a little kid, he was playing Cool G rap. He was playing Public Enemy. He was playing Too Short. So I was really young listening to music I probably shouldn't have listened to, but I loved it. So he, he, hearing that list, you know, Cool G rap, I think is one of the most underrated should be in everyone's top 10 if they know hip-hop. Gangstar, of course, fantastic. So that's awesome. Now, when you were just coming up, I know you mentioned that you wanted to be a DJ and that you were all about being a DJ. And you're right, it was DJ Jazzy Jeff. It was Eric B and Rakim. It was all about the DJ. Um, when you discovered that you can rap and, and really put lyrics down because I think your lyrics are amazing and they're extremely hard hitting uh, but it's it's just so emotional when did you find out that hey man not only can I make music because in 86 the music like you said was fun but I can also tell a story uh, with my hip hop and actually you know heal when did you discover that ability was that much later on yeah absolutely Um, that's definitely I've been incarcerated I did um, I did about 10 years total in solitary confinement, but I did a stretch for seven and a half years from 96 to 2004. And it was during that time that I really kind of honed in lyrically on, you know, talking about me, talking about, you know, exploring things within myself that, you know, I had, and, you know, developed the ability to express to other people and, you know, just putting things in paper on paper and, you know, um, you know, making them rhyme, it became a form of therapy for me. And, you know, it helped me with, you know, coping a lot with, you know, problems I was dealing with emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and just being able to take those thoughts outside of myself, put them in words, take the time to find the correct words, make them rhyme, and then I could memorize them and recite them. You know, they eventually became like affirmations and you know, even declarations and motivations. So, you know, that's that's really was honed during the many years that I did in solitary. Wow, wow. Incarcerate the body, but you can't incarcerate the spirit and the mind. And I think that is amazing. I, I think that is amazing, um, your journey and discovering that and, and everything you've been through and still being able to be positive and really just authentic. So, you know, I salute you, brother. I salute you, King, for that. Now, how did you... I, how did you get out? Because I've talked to your manager and your producer and the story. I mean, I guess it's really just technology. When I first heard 
your most recent song. What's the name of that most recent uh, release that you got out? I want the, the rest of the den mates to know know that single. Live on Death Row. Live on Death Row. And at first, you know, I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking Death Row, the record label. I didn't realize you're like, oh, no, you really mean that. But it's so powerful. And I'm thinking, how did they record? Like, how did it get so crystal clear? And then I, you know, I, I spoke with your producer. So was it really just the technology and the timing with you being able to just get the music out there and make it sound great and sound like it's recorded live in the studio? Or was it something that you were kind of planning on a while ago? Okay, so yeah, man, um, you know, fortunately, you know, that everything when it, you know, finally is ready for release and people hear it, you know, obviously they get to hear the final, the finished product, but it was many, many, many months and even prior to that many years in preparation to get to the point that we're at at this moment now. So as I mentioned, you know, the first obstacle being able to record, I've been locked up for 28 years, as I mentioned, and you know, amongst those obstacles is I haven't had any access to any recording material. So, you know, in Central Prison, in North Carolina prison system where I reside, is that, you know, as far as access to, you know, technology and music, the only thing that we have ever had access to right now is AM, FM radio. So I've never had a cassette recorder since I've been in prison, since 1993. I've never had, uh, you know, uh, a CD player. I've never um, had an MP3 player. None of that t- technology. And in addition to that is that, you know, I didn't have access to be able to use the telephone until 2016. So it wasn't until 2016 that, you know, I was able to communicate with the world outside of prison, you know, um, other than by mail. So in 2016, we got access to the telephones. And, you know, naturally, I've been writing rhymes, you know, you know, my whole life. That's one of the consistent things that I've been able to do on both sides of the wall. So, you know, naturally when we got access to the phone, one of the first things that came to my mind is, hey man, for my rhymes. I know what technology done advanced a lot. You know, I heard Shine did an album while he was in, you know, jail and prison. I heard some other rappers, you know, that had tried to do rhyming over the phone. I wonder if I could do it. So that began the process in 2016, but it didn't actually, you know, take off until 2018 when I met my engineer, Michael Betts. Him and I began recording at just acapellas. That's all I had was just doing acapellas, and he was posting them on SoundCloud. So the first acapella I did was a song I wrote, you know, just... You have 60 seconds remaining. Talking, I think we had left off. Uh, we were just talking about... Explaining about... Um... I was explaining about how um, when I had first hooked up with my engineer, Michael Betts. Yes, yes. started recording acapella. Yeah, so um, let me just continue from there. Yeah, just go ahead and continue right from there. Okay, so yeah, um, so when I first hooked up with my engineer, Michael Betts, in 2018, actually October the... I think it would be the 6th or the 8th. It was October the 8th. And um, 2018 is... I recorded an acapella uh, song I wrote, just shouting out all of my hoods in Raleigh. You know, I'm from Raleigh, and, you know, being that it had been 25 years at that time since, you know, I had been, you know, in prison, I wanted to, you know, shout my city out and let, the, you know, all the, 
everybody in my neighborhood and all the neighborhoods in Raleigh just, you know, I hadn't forgot where I came from. So I did this song called Round My Way, and it was just a cappella that I recorded over the phone. And Michael Betts, he posted it on SoundCloud and shared it. And in like less than a week, it had like 100 likes. And when he told me that, it was just like overwhelming. I was so hyped. I was like, you know, to me, like being in the biggest rap cipher I'd ever been in in my life, you know. Um, I'm accustomed to just nobody even hearing none of my raps. Most of the rhymes I've been writing, I've just been rhyming to myself or, you know, to a person here or there, you know. Um, I may have, you know, had five or six people that might have gathered around before, but to have 100 people all liking something that I spit, it was motivating. So me and Mike, we kept on recording, like, every week or every two weeks in SoundCloud, and... You know, was getting a lot of, you know, feedback. You know, people were liking what I was doing, but everybody kept saying, yo, man, you just need some beats. You need some beats. But, you know, I ain't have access to none of that. I ain't have no access to any type of um, beats, or nor did I know any producers. Barely, barely had anybody's phone number. So I just began the process of networking and trying to find some producer that could put, you know, beats to vocals and sync them. And I felt like, you know, from my, um, you know, little knowledge, I felt like that should be easy. You know, I'm a rapper. I know that if they just hear my raps, they know how to time it and put it in time with the beat. Right. It something kind of difficult. But, you know, I, I ain't realized, you know, all about, um, you know, actual time and we're dealing with digital tracks and, you know, how the human, you know, tendency might fluctuate a little bit. You know, if it's not something that, you know, has a measured beat to listen to so it was a problem and eventually I ended up um, seeing an article in the newspaper in 2019 talked about a professor at um, USC Chapel Hill here um, in North Carolina um, Katz at a um, beat lab and he was teaching or inviting producers to come to his lab to teach kids in the hood how to make beats on, on their laptop so I said, man, this dude might be able to help me find a producer as well as help me with the quality of the vocals. That was one thing I was worried about because I didn't want the vocals to have an inferior quality. Right. I didn't want them to, you know, sound, like I said, my only reference was before that was Shine. I heard some of Shine stuff on the radio and it really had a huge echo effect. I couldn't hardly hear what he was saying. And I just knew that in this day and time, as I couldn't make no music, and rapping in a way where, you know, it wasn't precise, especially with digital technology, people weren't even going to listen to it. So I contacted Mark Katz and writing him, and he wrote me back and hooked me up with Nick Neutron. It was like, yo, you know, he said, I heard your vocals, I heard your um, your rhymes on um, SoundCloud. He said, the only thing that I think is you just need some dope beats, and I can hook you up with some producers if you with um, Nick, and, you know, the rest is history. And, and that's phenomenal. And, and time plus opportunity plus preparation equals great success. And, and that's what I feel in your future. The music is incredible. The the marriage between the, the, the beats with the audio, I'm thankful because you're absolutely right. I did hear the Shine album. I think it was Man Buried Alive or, or something to that effect. And you're absolutely right. The quality. Lil Wayne also did some on Drake's album when he was incarcerated and you could tell you know you could Bobby Smurder as well and you can tell they were on the phone you can tell they couldn't hear the beat but with yours it, it it's just 
the quality is so top notch that I can't believe that you're not in the studio with the producer coming up with it. So it is a marriage made in heaven. It, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. And I, I mean, and I give major kudos to Nick. I mean, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I, I know is that he's taking this, you know, seriously and he's devoted countless hours to trying to perfect the quality of these vocals to get the right sound to make sure that the the vocal chain is the best chain that, that can be used etc and it's been a tedious process and you know i'm sure with you know some producers especially you know big celebrities like shine and little wayne and you know um bobby Smurda and you know other artists that have recorded from prison over the phone is that you know if they're using a big producer they might not have time to you know focus on you know getting all of the nuances correct etc and it's just you know trying to quickly get a release out but Nick is taking time, and that's why I say is that, you know, fortunately we've arrived to the point where you're hearing the finished product, but it's been a huge, you know, um, you know, marathon pretty much, you know, is getting from the, the beginning to where we are now. And, you know, his work and, you know, the, the, the preciseness and the clarity that has come about from the vocals, that was like my main concern. I'm so pleased with how it sounds because, you know, this is, it was, this was the main obstacle that I feared. And, you know, now I, I feel that comfort zone. Like, you know, now it's just up to the listener. If they resonate and if what I'm saying is resonating, that it's not going to be that they're thrown away just because of the the, the, uh, the quality of the vocals is bad. Well, shout out to Nick Neutron because he has done a phenomenal job with your phenomenal lyrics. I, I can't stress it enough. I love this story because it is a survival story on paper there's all the strikes against you all the strikes and you've overcome each one of those strikes to bring us a product that i think all it needs is exposure i always talk about the three p's purpose passion and a plan you had the first two in spades and it was just a plan on how to get this music out there now that that mission is accomplished i believe there's nothing but positivity i believe it's grammy quality music and that's why i'm so addicted to this story and getting it out there to the masses so that is phenomenal that is is phenomenal now we always talk about the origin uh story which incredible origin story now we're getting the music out to the masses what is your goal and hope uh with the you know besides the traditional uh, I want to sell a bunch of records or, or have a you know a bunch of people exposed to music. What is your ultimate goal by getting this music out there to the masses? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, so you know, really, I had this um, you know, really life changing experience. You know, as I say, I'm on death row, and there's so much to be said, you know, about my experience in prison, and particularly on death row. But, you know, personally, you know, guilty. You know, I, the crimes I'm accused of is I'm guilty. I committed those. And so I had, you know, I guess a, a certain degree of, you know, faith that the system usually doesn't get it wrong when it comes to the innocence, death penalty. So I was, I mean, bored when in 2014, a prisoner by the name of Holm who had been prison here on death row for 30 years was exonerated. Now, 
you know, not guilty. And he had a, you know, the crime that he was accused of was a horrific crime. It was, you know, charged with the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl. And, you know, they said that he had given a confession, et cetera. And, you know, this guy had been in prison. I knew him. He was with me. And he had said that he was innocent. But I... And fact that he was exonerated and found innocent by a panel of judges, not just one judge. They have, We have in North Carolina one of the only states that has what's called the actual innocence commission. Judges actually, you know, can review a case and you know, determine if there's a, a true cl- a claim of innocence. They found that he was innocent and it's a DNA that exonerated him and proved that it was another prisoner that was in prison. You know, um, right now that was, had actually committed that crime. So when that happened, it just made me feel so ashamed and embarrassed because you know I had condemned Henry McCollum in my own mind and heart. I thought he was guilty, just like the jury that found him guilty, and probably you know many other people. I just felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I felt like, hey, man, you know, how could you actually listen to a man who claimed that he was so it, it affected me so profoundly that, you know, I knew that I had to take more serious things if they said they was innocent. And it, it ripped off the veil pretty much on my eyes of the, the criminal justice system and realizing that, you know, justice is going on and people that are around me, you know, might actually not be guilty of the crimes they committed. So it was in... Years later, that one of my close friends had confided in me and told me that he, um, a friend of mine named Stacy Tyler, who I know is a support, and you know I became motivated to try to you know bring some awareness to this case. So it was in 2019 to be exact. We was um, looking out the window and right across the street, J Cole was having the Dreamville Festival, which is literally right across the street from Central Prison and Death Row. And there was over 40,000 people from all over that could come to Dreamville. I was telling some boy, I said, man, crazy. Right across the street, 40,000 people in Dreamville, and not one of them know that on the other side of the street, it's a man that's living a nightmare. He looked at me, and I, he had that look in his eyes. It just, like, you know, was a heavy, weary look. And he said, yeah, man. And just something sparked in me in that moment. I said, well, you know what? I said, I only had a Dreamville Festival. A thousand people. Out of my name and your name. So we're going to do this music and we're going to make calls in the feet. So it's an innocent here on death row. And I just felt inspired and moved to try and continue to try to beat the drum, to try to, you know, just scream and, and generate some attention. The fact that there's innocent people on death row in particular states. And so that's became the motivation for why I'm making this. Not just because, of, you know, I like the rap. I mean, it's a dream of mine. I, I feel, you know, incredibly, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to pursue a dream of mine from especially where I'm at and, you know, the place I'm at in my life. But also to have it have some greater purpose than just, you know, the vanity of making a song or making an album is that, you know, it means so much more to me. And I'm Muslim, you know, and, and, and in the Quran, Allah says that to take a life is like killing all of mankind. But to save an innocent life is like saving all of mankind. 
So that gives, you know, my, my, my purpose and, and, and what I'm doing some greater meaning. And I feel like if I can save this man's life, if I can bring enough attention to this cause, you know, because I recognize that, you know, what I'm doing is something novel. There's nobody else in the world that I know of that can, can claim or say that they made a rap album from Death Row. So this is something unique, and I feel like it could probably generate some attention. But I want to take that attention and, and shine it on the people that really don't, you know, um, they really need the attention, but not, might not have no type of skill or, or means to generate attention for themselves. So that's the real purpose of what I want to do with this music. Yeah. Wow. That that literally brought a tear to my eye, man. It is. It is. Um. Yeah. I'm rarely lost. Sixty seconds remaining. Rarely lost for words, but I, I, I tell you, man, that purpose is beautiful, and it's beautiful because, like you said, in, in your faith to save a life, it is like saving all mankind. And if you just impact one, that's incredible. So I salute you. We are going to talk again very soon for part two of this interview. Um, it has been an enlightening, brother, and I can't wait for part two. I want all the den mates uh, to. You have thirty seconds remaining. I want you guys to support this right. music and stream this music. So like, comment, subscribe. The show's starting right now. Let's go. Like, comment, subscribe. The show's starting right now.